The scripture reading for today is John 10, 1 through 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, he who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheeps and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own, and my own know me, and the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd. The word of the Lord. Jesus was a storyteller, a spinner of parables. Many of his stories may have been based on true events in his time and place, but most were probably fictional illustrations and examples of the truths he offered. Sometimes he explained, he explained their meaning, but other times he let his listeners figure them out for themselves. John, the author of Re Revelation, was also a storyteller. In his case, a creator of a strange kind of literature of the time called apocalyptic. Some of his writings referred to literal history that was going on in his day, but most was a stream of often bizarre images of fantastic creatures and events offered to illustrate God's work through the ages. In just moments... Bardar was bonded to Exlaploxta, mind and soul. Xi was the first Clixian he had ever met, and was of such an order of difference from Buffon kind that at first sight, Bardar had no inkling that he was in the presence of a life form. True, Exlaploxta moved independently, 
But Bardar had encountered chemical, robotic, meteorological, and geological phenomena, both on planetary surfaces and in open space, that easily mimicked the spontaneity of sentient life. Exlaplaxta exhibited nothing in his experience physically other than movement that he could identify as emanating from another soul. And with the astounding discovery that Xi indeed represented a sentient species previously unknown to Buffins, he shortly became further aware that Exlaploxer represented the third or free male gender of the Clixian species. From their first meeting to the first telling of this narrative, Bardar never fully understood the significance of free maleness, other than the awareness that Exlaploxta was physically capable of being either a mother or a father, and that Clixians had two forms of marriage, tripolar, which included a female partner, and bipolar, which did not. Exlaploxta was a free female, which meant that G had chosen to remain unmarried. Co-sibling Bardar, middle child of three, stepped out of the thatched roof cottage that housed his family of origin. In a few days, he would leave his parents' home and travel to a new star system, that of Saul, a small yellow star nearer the center of the galaxy. There he was to join the mission to a species called human, a tall but buffanoid people, whose bloody history of warfare was legendary through the galaxy. There was, though, a general, gentler side to humans, as demonstrated sometimes in their use of language. Interestingly, the word humane, a derivation from human, meant to be kind, caring, and gentle in the treatment of other life forms, even of non-sentient life. So while their cruelties often belayed their ideal of the humane, they still held to the ideal as if to the dream of their true nature, which should one day be realized. Trudging down the primitive country road at sunrise, he pondered his life on this small planet, Clicks, where he had lived the whole of his childhood and much of his young adulthood. He understood his life purpose to that point had been preparation to join in the mission of his people to carry their way of peace to the entire galaxy. But there was something about cliques that was holding on to his loyalties. Buffins had come there because portions of its surface, climate, and atmosphere were compatible with Buffin physiology, a good place for his kind to pause and prepare for the next reach to the disparate peoples of the stars. Still, as he inhaled the sweet air deeply, he couldn't help feeling there was something still to be done on this stopping-off place he had always called home, this place that seemed uninhabited except for simple life forms and the buffin colonists. Cool breezes ruffled through the gold angora that covered 90% of his body. A miniature, slightly paunchy, fleece-covered form 
that a human might describe generally as primate. He reveled in the refreshing outdoor pleasures of an earth-like springtime. But the contrasts of topography on cliques were remarkable, even to Buffins who had explored half the habitable planets of the Milky Way. On cliques, Bardar, even with his short Buffin stride, half that of a human, could walk in less than an hour to planetary surface features bearing the appearance of another world. The lovely spring atmosphere of gently sloping, bloom-covered hills near his cottage gave way to a gradual warming as his path wound downward into a desert valley, finally narrowing to a rocky gorge. Hot, acrid, but breathable vapors drifted upward, surrounding Bardar and sapping him of energy. The road then leveled out to a place he had come to on occasion to enjoy the natural sauna. At last he arrived at a familiar rock where he sat located between two lava pools that delivered steaming therapy to his bones and joints still rejuvenating from the stiffness of sleep. He delighted in the warming contrast to the cool breezes near his cottage. The gorge was a deep cut in the rocky strata. From halfway up the craggy face of its walls, lava seeped and flowed into the twin pools. And the surrounding fumarole field filled the atmosphere with a warm, healing haze. The voice in his brain that came clear to him as Bardar slipped into semi-conscious meditation was not a voice of words such as the ancient buffin tongue, but rather of primitive, wordless concepts. Void of sound equivalents, but filled with universally perceptible meaning. Bardar felt his mind bombarded with one clear alert. Danger! Then instruction. You are in a place of danger. You must be alert or you will be caught in the crossfire. By nature, a listener, Bardar hesitated. I know you, Bardar, the primitive voice continued. I have been here to watch your meditations. I know Buffin kind. You are good people. Do not be caught in the warfare of my kind. Show yourself, Bardar demanded. I have often meditated in this place and have never seen you. How is it you know my name? You've seen me often, but, you have not but I have not chosen to reveal myself. Now I must, otherwise you could die in the crossfire. How? Where? To your right, the lava pool. Dark, the one darker red than the other. See the ripples rising behind the darker hues where the magma grows lighter further out? Bardar strained to see through the gaseous storm that hung on the surface of the pool. At first, nothing. Only the brighter center of the liquid inferno showed through. Then a subtle rising of the boiling tide of liquid rock fluttered on the surface. Move away from the shore, the mysterious voice commanded. Your body is very fragile. I will destroy you if we are too close. It's important, though, that you see me. 
Bardar retreated up the path that had led him to the gorge. Where are you? In his anxiety of the moment, he shifted from his usual wordless telepathy to the, the spoken words of his buffin ancestors. Ripples in the center of the magma pool rose and congealed into a dome that moved toward the near shoreline. Bardar felt the increased heat of the approaching surface bulge and backed further up the grade behind him. Don't fear me, the continuing voice reassured, but don't be too close. The heat of my body would be lethal to you. Bardar instinctively trusted, but behind the reassuring words, other words, filled with fear, anxiety, and violent hatred reverberated in the psychic space below the surface of the pool. They are the voices of my people, eaten up with violent fear. They are close behind me, seeking the extermination of their enemies. I am Exlaploxta, a female of cliques. Please believe me, you must retreat further. Soon they will flood the shoreline of this pool and their combined heat could destroy you. The lava dome that Bardar now knew as an intelligent being with a personal name, Exlaploxta, took the physical definition and separated from the cauldron behind it. A giant amoebic form encased in a fiery, shape-shifting epidermis flowed under the surface of the fumarole field. I can only remain here shortly. There was desperation in the voice that rang in Bardar's consciousness. Bardar retreated further. As he half stumbled backward up the rocky incline, he glanced to the left into the second pool and saw that a line of moving lava domes similar to Exlaploxta, but brighter in color, presumably from the greater heat of their pool, approached the shore. I must do this thing before my body hardens from the cold. The voice Bardar trusted spoke with urgency. I must do this thing before I solidify and die. Now more voices, clearly streaming from the second pool, the hotter, brighter one, resonated through Bardar's brain. The aggressors come. The howl of tribal fear for the self-preservation of a species ripped through Bardar's consciousness. Our children, our home sanctuary, the evil ones come to destroy our God-given haven. Collective memories of Bardar's own people transported him to the time before Buffins had learned the ways of peace and he wept. The great fluid form that was Exlaploxta, like a living tide, moved toward the opposite pool from which the desperate defenders now began to emerge. Hear my people, she pled. With the scores of amoebic forms crossing the shore of the second pool, hear the fear, the vulnerability behind their rage. In Exlaploxta's wake, scores of his kin emerged from the darker, cooler pool, some of three or two or single-cell construction. Selfish beasts, they moaned, secure in the warmth of their womb world while our bodies slowly harden in the icy hell of a darkening pool that sucks away our life. 
We seize what is rightfully ours. My siblings, my kin, Exlopoxta cajoled the beings of magma who followed him across the rocky terrain between the two pools. Appeal, but don't seize. They also are kin. Soon the war cries from both sides rose to a cacophony that filled Bardar's mind with a chaos of fear and hate. A virtual guarantee of mutual destruction. As battle lines were drawn, the two Clixian armies, identical save the slightly br- brighter glow of one, stared silently across the vaporous plain between their two shores. The moment was brief. Only Exlopoxta was aware when the instant of possible turning back had passed. As the inevitability of a first strike became real, Xi felt the approaching release of rage, and your body responded. Time stood still in Exlopoxa's mind as she lay in the open, lonely wasteland between hating, ranting Clixian armies. Your spirit and mind soared upward to direct a plea to neither kinsmen nor opponents, but to one unseen. Great waves of anxiety convulsed the semi-liquid frame of the giant being, isolated between enemy factions. Neither Bardar nor Exlopoxta's fellow Clixians heard the, heard the prayer. Creator, parent of my soul, please take this suffering from me. Do not forsake me. Still your will must be done. What happened next was instantaneous, but Bardar watched it as if in slow motion. The ranks of Exilplaxta's kindred behind her rose briefly from their battle line and then extended pseudopods from the dome tops, discharged projectiles of a substance so hard it was unaffected by the heat toward the other Clixians across the plain. But at the same moment, Bardar's newfound partner in peace rose gigantically before the friendly fire. Body extended vertically and laterally in a way that caused it to receive the full impact of the volley. Lava poured from jagged rips that, that crisscrossed Exoplaxa's now shapeless epidermis. Bardar heard one thought escape from his newfound friend as your internal lava quickly hardened onto the stone on the fumarole field. Why? Both sides retreated from the scene of the sacrificial act in awe. There was no battle that day. Three Clixian mornings later, Bardar stood on the viewing deck of a great buff and orb ship as it rode slowly to begin its journey to the system of Saul. On the igneous plain between two lava pools in a craggy gorge below, freshly hardened magma sprang once more to life and trickled into the bubbling cauldrons. Bardar's eyes scanned the horizon and down into lava pools and fumaroles. In his pensive quietness of mind, a familiar, primitive voice 
spoke pure, wordless thoughts. I'm not down there anymore, Bardar. I've moved on. Be my witness to the humans. John 10:16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd.